Right. Well, we're in week three of the series called Why in the World? Why in the World? If you've missed one or two of the previous weeks, I'd say please go back and listen to them on the podcast. I don't ask you to do that very much. It's always there if you want to find out what we have done or you missed something and you want to catch up. But because we're, we're sort of building, those two weeks, are, uh, they're helpful. They're foundational in what we're doing. So don't get left behind. That's what we're saying. Don't get left get behind. Um, is grade seven or eight or both? I don't, I don't remember exactly. I had the privilege of wearing some super awesome headgear for my braces. Um, more than once, my tongue froze to my headgear as I walked to school in the winter. And luckily, every morning when I got up and I was able to attach my apparatus, I was wonderfully reminded of how fantastically awful I felt, how awful I looked. And when I got to school, I had wonderful classmates who were there also, and they took that opportunity to remind me of how awful I looked. They were constant reminders for me of a a season that I was not happy with. Did anyone else here ever have the gift of headgear? Yeah? You You know my pain. You know what it was like, all these others. They have no idea. Have you ever been picked on for something that you had really no control over? This might not be your past. This, this might actually be your present. Um, there might be something kind of passing on, or it might be a, you know, a full-on discrimination. Maybe it's because of a group that you're a part of. Maybe something that is wrong with you physically, something that is different about you. If you have ever been discriminated against because of something that you had no control over, even if it was something as small as crooked teeth and headgear in middle school, you know that it is very dehumanizing. You are not the same person in that time. It throws you off balance. Whatever that thing is or that thing was, it's true of you all the time. Everyone around you doesn't need to point it out or bring it up. You know. You know when it bothers you because others have also mentioned you. And there's two ways that you can go with this. You can either get into that spot and you power up to compensate for it. Your personality becomes a little bit bigger, a little bit bolder. People know that you enter the room before you've entered the room. You've got a little bit of an attitude. This is the way that I was dealing with things in middle school. I was aggressively sarcastic and I could attack people with words and belittle them to protect myself. Or you go the other way. You disappear. You do all that you can to put on Harry Potter's father's cloak of invisibility. You want to walk through a crowd and make sure that no one sees you. You are incredibly self-conscious. You hear it from people, even when they don't say it. So consequently, the way that you live is you start avoiding pictures. You don't want to be in them. No family shots, no group pictures. You kind of hide, and maybe you even try to slide in behind like Andre the Giant and poke your head out just a little bit, so you can be there, but you don't want to be seen. You don't want to be noticed. If you've ever felt this kind of thing before, this extraordinary experience, it's all consuming. Nobody can tell you that it's, it's okay and just relax, because you can't. 
a tiny little piece of your history, even if it was years and years ago, is not forgotten. And it can reawaken bad memories and bad feelings years, years later. In Canada, we have developed this intolerance for intolerance. We believe that bullying is bad. And that's a good thing. We might misuse that system sometimes to bully other people at the same time, but the concept is good. And in general, we have placed an extremely high value on accepting people, tolerating people, and we believe bullying is bad. Now this value of tolerance, this value of anti-bullying, that stance that we have taken, is a reflection of Christian values that founded our culture and founded our nation. Because you are used to it, because you've heard it, it's been marketed to you, you might just think that it's natural. But it's not. Respect for the individual is not natural. You want to know what is natural? (laughs) What's natural is that might makes right. We're used to that. We've seen that. And by default, that's what we go to. And this is what we find throughout history, throughout cultures. And even today, in other, um, other countries in the world, we will see this sort of idea. It still exists. And we think, why don't these people just get along? What is the big deal that causes so much strife? How can you treat children that way? How could you just abandon and walk away? How could you sell a child? How could they treat women like that? Don't they know that we're supposed to give everyone value? Natural is the original golden rule before it was rewritten by Jesus. And the original golden rule, you know this, I'm sure, it's he who has the gold makes the rules. Right? Have you heard it that before? Natural is what happened to me in junior high with my headgear. Natural is I find something about you that I don't like and I power up. Natural is leveraging my advantages over you. Natural is, if you're a little bit different than me, I'm going to point out the fact that you're a little bit different than me. It's in all of us to find somebody that we don't like for something that they have little or no control over. We've all been guilty of this. It happens sometimes very outwardly, sometimes just internally. And our assumption is that individuals have actual, that our assumption that individuals have value is actually something that we have learned. It has been taught to us. One of the places that in history that recorded this really, really well, it's not the only place and it's not the best place, but it might be one of the most famous places. You'll know these words where this sort of idea was written down and encoded, and it goes like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Sound familiar? The Declaration of Independence. It's, it's part of our Western world. Again, it's not the only place, but they said it very, very well. These rights need to be secured Because while they might be self-evident, they are not natural. Natural is I make fun of people. Natural is I power up over those who I have power over. Natural is discrimination. Natural is prejudice. 
natural is, well, we don't like them, do we? The problem is that we frequently opt for natural over self-evident. And this is one of the big reasons that Jesus came. This is one of the reasons that God became one of us. We say, why in the world did Jesus come? This is one of the reasons to help straighten us out. John 1, one of my favorite verses, and we've been looking at this every single week, so I just want to bring it back to you again. And the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt, lived, camped, chose to be there and stay there. He dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why did Jesus come to the world? The first two weeks we talked about one and we said, why in the world did Jesus come? The first, two reason, or the first reason was to communicate and demonstrate what God is like. What does God look like? God the Father looks like Jesus. You want to know what God the Father would do? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God the Father would say? Listen to Jesus. Second reason that we're going to look at today, why in the world did Jesus come to earth? To elevate the dignity of the individual. It's a little bit hard to grasp why this is such a big deal because we live in a, a point in history after Jesus came. But when Jesus came on the scene, people were absolutely 100% seen as commodities. People were owned without question. The first century gods didn't treat people well. That's what they believed. The first century people didn't treat each other well. There was no sense that God is going to somehow hold me accountable for how I treat other people around me. That was just a big blank spot. That thought didn't come up. There was none of that in the Greek way of thinking, hugely shaped Western culture. There was none of that in the Roman way of thinking, hugely shaped Western culture. There was even a pecking order in the slaves. So there was slaves, of course, but then there was different ranks. There was the uh, house slaves that outranked a field slave. And a field slave outranked a slave that was forced to work in the salt mine. Children at this time had no rights. Oftentimes, children weren't even named for months after their birth because their parents weren't even sure if they were going to live. Women had no rights. Women had no opportunity to choose who or if they would marry. They were promised or sold sometimes before they were even born. The individual had no value. In that world, if you had power and things and money, then you were viewed as being blessed by God. So consequently, you got more wealth and more and more power. If you were not in that very small elite group, then you had very few, if any, rights. It was into this world that Jesus stepped. And even in Israel, even in Israel that had the law and they had this relationship with God, they had a system that didn't value the individual. And the religious leaders of Israel, they leveraged their position with Rome in such a way that they, if we keep the people quiet, if we keep the people peaceful, then the religious elite would be able, excuse me, to maintain wealth, to maintain status, and to hold power. And they did it working with the Roman Empire. Anywhere you would look, you would see these mounting layers of injustice. But you couldn't call it injustice because that's just the way it was. There was no sense that because I'm human, I have human rights. Then Jesus came along. 
And Jesus elevated the dignity of the individual first through his teaching. Check out some of these highlight reel stories of teaching where we see this whole new way of thinking just being taught. When we read them, we don't realize how groundbreaking they are. The first one, the Good Samaritan. Jesus chose to make an outcast, half-breed, one that was walked away from the hero of the story. And then there's the trilogy of the lost thing. There's the lost coin. The story of the lost coin elevates a woman by making her the key character in the story. What the woman wants matters. What bothers her is important. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like, and he describes it using a woman. There was the lost sheep. In this, we saw the value of the individual. Just one sheep was enough to take the shepherd's attention. Just one was enough for God to be interested in. Then there was the lost son. The importance was given to a distant, second-born, rebellious, disobedient son. And in this world, the firstborn gets all the status, all the attention. They get more than half of the inheritance. But this story focuses on raising the value of that rebellious, second, younger son towards an audience that without a second thought would have written him off. They are waiting for the punishment at the end of that story. Let's see what he gets. And Jesus tells a story of love and acceptance and forgiveness. And their minds are going, I don't even know what you're talking about. Then in one of his most famous passages, Jesus uh, teaches the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we call it, because he was standing on a mountain. And that's where they taught it. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And all the poor people said, wait, what? Blessed? We've lived our whole lives thinking that we were cursed. Everyone else treats us as if we are cursed. We had thought that the reason that we don't have anything was because God had forgotten about us. And Jesus said, no, you're blessed. And Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And they all said, what? Mourning means that bad things are happening. I thought bad things happen because God has turned his back on me. And Jesus says, no, that's not the case at all. It's a great uh, story called, uh, referenced as the widow's might. Maybe you've heard this story before. We're going to look at it from Mark chapter 12. I have the references for all these stories so you can read them all during the week. You can go back and you can study this, which would be a great idea. Do it. Uh, Mark 12, 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. We don't do that here, just in case you're wondering. We have it at the back. You put in whatever you want to do. Whenever you want to do it, that's fine. We don't watch. There's no camera back there that you can see. Many rich people (laughs) threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came in and dropped two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in everything, all that she had to live on. Jesus, again, elevated a woman, and elevated a woman who thought that God had turned his back on her, that God had cursed her 
Otherwise, why would she be a widow? Jesus argued against that culture's prejudice and, and, and he raised her value up. Not just her, but, but to the people around her. He said, look at her. And he raised her up. The, the, the strikes against that woman were clear for everyone to see. And because of the way they lived, those clear strikes made a difference. She was a woman, strike one. She was poor, strike two. She was a widow, strike three. All these signs show that she's getting what she deserves. She was obviously not being blessed by God. Why? Well, just look at her. That's why. And Jesus challenged that whole way of thinking. And Jesus also um, elevated the dignity of the individual through his interactions with people. Not just the stories and not just his teachings. And so, hey, ooh, this will be fun. Here's your new homework. As you continue to read Mark, or if you've already finished Mark, because you're awesome, there's three more Gospels, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read any of them. But now, as you read it, look for conversations that Jesus had where Jesus is raising the dignity of people through interacting with them. See? Totally fun, right? That's what you're going to say this week. I'm totally going to do that. It will help me. Doesn't hurt. Read a chapter. Read two chapters. You'll be better for it. First place interaction. Famous, famous story. The Samaritan woman. The whole gang is just walking through this region called Samaria. A place that normally is dodged by all good Jews. So they don't mix with these other half-breed kind of people. Do you know where Samaria is? Let's take a second. Phil, can you throw up a map for me, please? Okay, it's totally illegible. So imagine that you could read this. But, it, but if you could, in this bottom section right here, you have this place called Judea, right around the, the Dead Sea, and that's right near where Jerusalem is. Okay? Up in the top, where the other water is, we have a region called Galilee. That's where Jesus came from. That's where lots of stories happen around Galilee. They have Galilee on the top, Judea in the middle, and in, the, in, in the, that thing in the middle, that's some, some area in the middle, See, see what I just did there? Samaria in the middle? Yeah. All right. It's funnier to me than my head. Samaria is that region there. So they would try and dodge that, that section when they're going around. And so they've come through. They're taking a break. And Jesus sends the disciples off. He says, go get me some takeout. I'm just going to hang here by the well. And when you come back, we're going to eat. So the disciples come back with food. And they almost drop it because of what they saw. They walk up, and there is Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman in public. Their jaws drop. What is going on here, Jesus? Jesus elevates her dignity. He says, the way that you have been living is wrong. He doesn't have to teach them. He just shows them by the way he cares for her. There's another story about a Roman centurion and his servant. And in Jesus' time, in Israel, everyone hated the Romans. Everyone did. Because they were messing with life. And they hated the, the centurions more because they were the guys in charge of the guys who would be beating you up. So a Roman centurion approaches Jesus and asks him for a favor, and Jesus does him a favor. You're talking to that guy? And the favor was, can you please heal my servant? And so Jesus does that, 
heals the servant, and Jesus in that place elevated the status of a servant. Not a subhuman, but a human. And he elevated the status of a Roman centurion in a culture where they were despised. Absolutely. And Jesus said, I'm good with him. I'm okay with him. And people were forced to look at things in a different way. Zacchaeus and Matthew, the tax collectors, okay? So let's keep with the theme of despised individuals because that's what these two were, tax collectors. These guys were known for ripping off their own people to help the Romans. We hate the Romans, but you're part of us and you betrayed us to help them. They were the lowest of the low. Even the sinners didn't want to hang out with tax gatherers. These guys were so low on the pole, they were underground. There was nothing lower than a tax gatherer in this time. And so Jesus stops by at Matthew's table and talks to him and he said, Matthew, when you're finished up today, I want you to follow me, okay? I want to come over to your house and I'm going to risk my reputation to go to a dinner party with you. You choose the guest list. No matter who you choose, I'm there. And another day, Jesus is in a crowd of people and he spots a guy who has climbed a tree to see better. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I want to go to your house. I'm going to risk my reputation. I want to step over the threshold of your door and I want to have dinner with you. He did this in front of people. Even the despised people Jesus treated and raised, he treated with respect and raised their dignity. Children, on more than one occasion, Jesus is teaching and children bust in on the scene. They leave their parents to be held and to be noticed by Jesus and his disciples slash bouncers grab the kids and start hauling them back. No, 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 no children here. Remember, in this culture, children didn't matter. You didn't care what the kids thought. You didn't care that you got in their way. They need to respect you. So often, these children never grew up to be adults. Parents didn't want to love their kids too much too early for fear of the high fatality rate. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Let the kids come to me. I want them here. Jesus raised the status of children who were not even considered in that culture. And then, one of the most miraculous events in the Bible. One of those stories that just blows your mind. Jesus heals a mother-in-law. <laughs> Peter's mother-in-law. And he comes in and he transforms. Jesus deals with the sick people. In that time, they didn't understand germs, but they knew if you touched sick people, you became ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And that protected them from spreading disease. They knew not to touch sick people. Sick people are getting punished by God. Remember that story from last week? Right? No? You don't remember? So go back and listen to it. And then you'll know. Sick people being outcasts, it's not an issue of conscience at all. That's what you did with sick people. And Jesus came and he touched them and loved them and treated them with respect. The mentally ill or the mentally sick, Jesus went to and interacted repeatedly on many different places in many different cities with the mentally ill. He raised their dignity and value by loving and being tender with them in a public sort of interaction. And then a convict. 
not long ago, we looked at Jesus when he was on the cross, and we saw that right at the end of his life, Jesus interacted with convicts. He promised a convict, a convict who had been rightly convicted by the court. He promised that convict a spot in heaven that very day just for believing that Jesus was God's son. He didn't have to pay. He didn't have to work. He didn't have to shower or anything. He raised the dignity of that man that day. Every time that story is told, we are reminded who God means when he says he loves the world. Grace, mercy, acceptance, favor for even the worst, the convicted, caught sinner or criminal. Throughout his ministry, Jesus paused and intentionally went to individuals who had no dignity to raise their worth and to give them dignity. This is not something that we would learn about God the Father without Jesus. No amount of meditation makes this clear about God. No amount of studying nature makes this clear about God the Father. No amount of religious effort makes this clear without the example of Jesus. One day, Jesus was having dinner with a Pharisee, and it was a hot day, maybe like yesterday, and so they were eating outside. He was eating with a Pharisee. He didn't discriminate either way, right? It wasn't just like, I'm all about this kind of people. No, he hung out with Pharisees too. And this Pharisee probably had the goal in his mind to say, I'm going to test Jesus out. I'm going to give him a, a, a pop quiz. I'm going to see, test his status. Maybe he's a prophet, maybe he's not. Let's find out. So they're sitting outside eating, and this woman... I guess sort of creeps up and just slides in. She comes from around the corner and then she's there and she begins to wash Jesus' feet with her, with her hair and with uh, perfume. Luke 7, 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, that whole test that I was going to do to see if he's a prophet, it's already done. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is. That she is a sinner. You should not let somebody like this teach you, touch you. So then Jesus must not know what kind of a person she is. Because everyone knows you don't touch a sinner. And you don't let a sinner touch you because if you do, you will get sinnerness all over you. You'll be corrupted. You'll be sinned on. And somehow you will become less than in that moment. God can't accept you if you have been touched by a sinner. And then Jesus answered him. He said, Simon, not Simon, but you know, Simon's the name of the Pharisee. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And so Jesus goes on and he tells him this story about two people who owed money to a moneylender. One owed a lot of money and one owned a little bit of money. The great moneylender forgave both of their debts. He said to the guy who owed him a lot, your debt, canceled. He said to the guy who owed him a little bit, debt, canceled. Then Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee, in the story that I just made up, who will be the most grateful, the one who was forgiven a lot or the one who was forgiven a little? 
And Simon's like, oh, I know this is a trick question. But here we go. Okay, Jesus, the one who was forgiven a lot. And then Jesus goes on. He kind of points his finger at Simon and he says, do you know what, Simon? You are so unaware of your sin that you don't even know the gratitude you deserve to show to God. The moral of this story, you could learn a thing or two from that sinful woman. Everywhere that Jesus went, he raised, he elevated the status, he elevated the dignity of the individual to the point where it was offensive to those who had prejudice in their hearts. It was offensive to those whose natural inclination was to discriminate. It was offensive to those who assumed that those who had not been blessed by God, that those who had been blessed by God, that those who were blessed had been blessed by God and those that were not blessed were out of favor with God. The big exclamation point on this whole story comes when Jesus died. And Jesus elevated the dignity of the individual through his death. And if we really believe that God sent his son into this world to die for our sins, for all the sins of all mankind, this changes the way we live because that means it includes, but it's not limited to you. That, that all includes, but it's not limited to your worst enemy. It includes, but it's not limited to that person that you just have no respect. Jesus came to die for all of us. And at the cross, every one of us humans had our dignity raised to the place where we just know we don't deserve it. At the foot of the cross, we are all laid low and we are all made equal in the sight of God. About 20 years after the, re the resurrection, the Apostle Paul said this, and he wrote in his letter to the, to the Romans, Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 7. He wrote, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God. Every time you see that, it comes up a number of places. You circle that spot. You highlight that spot. That gets a star. But God. This is the way it was, but God. This is the way everyone thought that it should be, but God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Do you know who the us is? It's us. It's all the us's at work. It's all the us's you go to school with. It's all the us's that you talk about. It's all the us's that you love to discriminate against. It's all the us's that have betrayed you. It's all the us's that you have a bad attitude towards. It's all the us's that do that. You know that thing that you don't struggle with, but they do? It's all the us's that mistreat you, and you now have an opportunity to mistreat them. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we, you know who the we is? <laughs> it's the us, right? It's us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And somehow Jesus was able to live his entire time on this earth 
earth without adjectives and without labels. There were no good people and no bad people. There were no righteous and unrighteous based on their own efforts. There were no purely moral or immoral people. There were no in people or out people. As his ministry went along, he ceased even making the delineation between Jews who were in and Gentiles who were out. Jesus saw people, people. Jesus wasn't naive. It's not like he didn't look. It's not like he didn't understand or didn't see. Jesus knew the hearts of all men. Jesus knew the hearts of all women. Jesus knew the hearts of all college or university freshmen. Apparently, Jesus saw that there really wasn't that much difference. And when you drive across the country, you are very aware of mountains and valleys, even more so if you're on a bicycle. We have a mountain valley here. We see the texture. You see the different elevations. But when you fly in a plane, or if you were to take the view from space, Earth is just a smooth ball. Perhaps from the vantage point of holiness or sinlessness, from the vantage point of God in a body, perhaps that just wasn't that much different. You don't need labels when they're that close. Jesus didn't have to die a little bit more for some people and a little bit less for others. From the point of view of Jesus, we are all sinners separated from God who need a Savior. Perhaps this is why Jesus had such incredibly low tolerance for self-righteousness. Because of who I am. Because of who I'm related to. Because of where I'm from. Because of what I haven't done. Because of what I have done. Somehow my efforts and my works and my inherited moralness sets me apart from other people. Jesus had no tolerance for that. We are all basically shades of gray compared to his bright, pure brilliance. And when people use the words of God to hurt people bearing the image of God, Jesus was quick to remind them that they were on the wrong side of God. In the Gospels, whenever someone tried to take the words of God and use them to alienate, to distance, or hurt people who bore the image of God, Jesus was quick to remind them, no, 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 not my Father, not me, not on my watch. Because from my perspective, you are all basically the same. Dearly loved. At the foot of the cross, I lose any right to discriminate against anybody for any reason. We should be the most non-discriminatory people in the world. Why are we not known this way? Dear God, what have we done? Dear God, what have we done in your name? Into one, it's time to change what we are known for. We need to brand and craft 
and fashion a new identity. Let them say that we believe weird stuff. Let them say that we do weird things. We believe that God came to earth for us. Let them say that. But let them look at how we treat people. We should be loving well. We should be drawing people into one well. If Jesus was correct, then everybody is somebody. Then everybody is somebody that God loves. Then everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. To discriminate against anybody for anything is basically to say, God, your standards are too low. I've got a higher standard than you, God. And in doing that, we show an extraordinary disrespect for what God has done for each of us. Please don't miss this. If you're a Christian, you can't live with an I'm better than you attitude towards anyone. And if while I've been talking, that person came to your mind, we need to process that. Because some of you don't like people who are smart. Some of you don't like people who are skinny. Some of you don't like out-of-shape people. Some of you don't like white people. Some of you don't like Chinese people. Some of you don't like brown people. Some of you don't like people who were born in other countries. Some of you don't like people who are more successful than you. Some of you don't like higher education. Some of you don't like your boss. We've all got it in us. It's natural. It's self-evident that we should not, but it's natural to discriminate. But as Christians, we are called to a higher standard beyond what is natural. Some of us need to repent because it's sin. This is ingratitude and disrespect to God, and it's divisive and disrespectful to people that God dearly loves. This is self-righteousness, and this is something that Jesus hates. This is where I believe that there is something about myself that makes me better than you. Different, yes. Better, no. This has been an ongoing issue. You didn't just start this yesterday. You've practiced. We have strong feelings some of us towards different races, different political associations, different genders, different sins, different ways of living, different personalities. You think you're right, but it's sin. This bothered Jesus the most. This was one of the reasons that Jesus came to earth to enable you to empower you to embrace the freedom of forgiveness and repent, to turn away from your ungodly self-righteousness, this might very well be important enough for you to get on your knees to pray. This is serious. Two things to work on. Repent and repair. Repent, that means we turn away from the practice, the practice of self-righteousness. 
And then we repair. We start working. We start undoing some of the harm that we have caused. We look to repair and to restore some of those relationships that you have been poisoning. Here's something that's a secret to no one except you. Your bad attitude has been telegraphed. They know. You may have never said anything to them. They know. Facial expression, body language, by what you have not said, the tone of your voice, part of repentance might just be conversations of repair ants. But now going forward, we all need to do what Jesus did. We need to help each other do what Jesus did. Let's call each other forward and upward and put our eyes up. You need to look for opportunities to elevate the dignity of all, but particularly to elevate the dignity of the kind of people that you tend not to give dignity to. When you feel that resistance inside, when you feel that emotion rising up, realize that it is sin in you and say, I want no part of that tainting on the rest of my life. It doesn't matter what you used to do. Shake it off. It doesn't matter what your parents used to do. Shake it off. It doesn't matter what your grandparents used to do. Shake it off. Shake it off and leave it behind. Leave it with the other garbage that has held you down and held you back from the freedom and from the joy that Jesus traveled to earth to unleash for you. One of the reasons that Jesus came was to teach that all people are loved by God. They all have dignity because they bear the image of God within them. What would it be like if we could just get this one thing right? Imagine Stouffville with this. Are you continuing to read Mark? Maybe you've completed it again. But there's three more Gospels waiting for you. Read looking for where Jesus is elevating the dignity of the individual. And then be like him. Kind Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace that you give to us. If today sounds harsh, it's only for the sense that we long to be free. I long for my friends here to be free. Free from prejudice, free from what holds us back from a close relationship with you. I long to connect more deeply, to have the sense that your spirit can speak to me more clearly, that I will be able to understand more adeptly, and that I will be able to live this out more boldly. Father, be at work in this, Holy Spirit, you are welcome to move. Bring conviction where it needs to come. Bring repentance where it needs to come. But bring that sense of freedom that we can stand before you clean, holy, set aside as God's own people. It's not going to be easy. But we are in earnest pursuit of you. Reach out, please, and help us along. Thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen. Christ behind you. Christ above you and Christ beneath you. Christ to your left and Christ to your right. The Spirit of Christ within you. God bless you and keep you. God smile and gift you. 
God look you full in the face, make you prosper, and give you peace. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It was great. It is better when you're here. Boy, did you make it better today. I'm so glad that you were here, that you were a part of this. Um, remember, i got to send you somewhere. This is summertime. You need to go and read Mark. You need to have a barbecue. You need to have a friend over. You need to have some family around. You need to love well. You need to be a great neighbor. And wherever you go, take that grace and that truth of Jesus. Keep reading that gospel. Keep earnestly in pursuit of Jesus. Find out what the Father is like. 